My name is Sarah Mullally and I have the privilege of being the Bishop of London. I'm here with the Bishop of Kensington, Graham Tomlin, and we're going to be talking about Brexit. Graham, you've just produced uh, a short essay uh, called Looking Beyond Brexit. Uh, why do you think the church has something to say about Brexit at this time? I think there's quite a lot to be learned from our experience as the Church of England, especially looking back in history. This is what I do in the essay, is to look back at the English Reformation at a time when the nation was deeply divided. And actually, in some ways, the formation of the Church of England is an example of bringing together a deeply divided nation, somehow finding a way forward that has uh, kind of endured for, for many years since then. So I do think our history has got something to say uh, to our national situation, polarised as it is at the moment. And what do you think it actually has to say? What are the points that you draw out in the essay? Well, I think at the heart of um, the Brexit debate is the is the the kind of the issue of the local and the universal. It's basically about, um, if you like, on one side, uh, there are people who, f- who feel very passionately attached to the local. You know, the, the the value of Britain as a nation, its distinctness, its uniqueness compared to other countries, our history, our background, our you know, language and literature and all of that kind of stuff. On the other hand, there are those who want to say, well, oh, well, that's all very well, but it's much more important that we're open to the wider world and we're sort of curious about other cultures. We learn other languages and we find out about other, other nations in the world as well. And we keep open our borders to everyone else. And uh, it seems to me that what happened in the, um, uh, the actually what happened in, the, in the, the referendum is that we were kind of asked to choose between these two things. But actually, the reality is when you think about them, uh, every society needs both of those. Every society needs a sense of its own kind of uniqueness, its history, its background, its, its what, what made it what it is. But also it needs an openness to the wider world because otherwise it gets fossilized and turned in upon itself. And if you like, what I think the referendum was trying to do was trying to, it was actually kind of forcing us to choose one side or the other. And it's a bit like that within the English Reformation because, you know, we had the Protestant and Catholic sides of... Christianity that got left behind after the Reformation. And uh, in a way, the Church of England kind of had to choose, are we going to be a Protestant church or a Catholic church? And actually what came out of it was that we decided, actually, no, both of these things are quite important. We are a Reformed Catholic church. There's Protestant elements and there's Catholic elements within the church. Not trying to mush them together into something that is neither one or the other, but sort of holds them together in a wider unity. So practically, how does that reconciliation happen? What does it look like if we're going to learn from the Reformation? How do we get there? Well, I think the first thing is to um, is to start with the church. I think in the English Reformation, there was a, a long process with all kinds of theologians like Thomas Cranmer and, um, and and many others who were trying to sort of find Richard Hooker and others who were trying to find you know, what is it that the Catholic and the Protestant bring together to conform this, this new church. And um, and it, it took a long time. So I think it's the first thing I'd say. It's going to take time. I think the divisions of Brexit are not going to suddenly go overnight. As soon as we, if we leave or whether we don't, when, if it's, when, it's, when it's resolved, whatever way, that's not going to solve the problem. The divisions have gone deeper. So it's going to take time. And the English Reformation took time. Mm, I, was, I was very stuck in, in your um, essay because, of course, a lot of the slogans are, let's get Brexit done. Yeah, yeah. But actually, uh, you know, even a vote on a Brexit uh, you know, or even exiting the European Union doesn't mean to say it's done. And I was very exactly. struck by that yeah, point. That's right. Yeah. It just means that the divisions are still there and they have to be healed, but perhaps from the other side of the, the European Union fence outside rather than inside. But the same issue is still there. How do you how do you hold together the local and the universal? Um, so I think those things are, are, are still a crucial part of the, the debate going forward. 
The the other thing I was um, struck by, one of the points you raised was about the need for us to love our neighbour. Now, that clearly is at the heart of our Christian mm. faith. Mm. Um, and I often um, reflect that our neighbour isn't just the person we get on with, it could mm. also be our enemy. Mm. I wondered whether you could just say a bit more about how you see that Christian, uh, in a sense, foundation of loving our neighbours could help mm. us as we move forward. Mm. Well, I think within... Um within Brexit, there is this issue of some people, and there are also reasons why people voted leave or remain, but maybe at the heart of it was that people who voted to leave felt that in some way that sort of local particular identity of a nation was under threat from various factors, maybe mass immigration or a federal Europe or or globalization or or whatever. And and those who voted remain were those who wanted to say on the other side of the debate, no, no, we want to to kind of hold together you know, we need to, to, to kind of love not just our near neighbours, but our, our far neighbours and maybe even our enemies beyond this world. And so in some ways you could see this as a, it was a kind of competing loves. Do we love those who love us, those who are close to us, those who are like us? Or are we called to love those who are different from us and those who are far beyond us? Um, whereas it strikes me that in the teaching of Jesus, you have a number of different kinds of, of, of love. There is love for those who love us, which is a right and a good thing. Um, that's not a bad thing that we love those who are close to us, our family, friends, people who are like us. Then there's the love um, for, uh, uh, our, for our neighbor, uh, for the person that we don't choose, who may not be like us, but she lives quite near to us at the same time. And then there's the love for the enemy, the person who actively dislikes us and who is very different from us. And it's, but it seems to me that these are not competing loves, that we have to choose between them. But if you like, there's a kind of progression that in the teaching of Jesus, if you like, it starts with love for yourself and love others, love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's that proper self-care that we need to exercise. But then we need to, to realize that, that caring for ourselves, we need to care for our, those who are close to us at the same time and then to learn to love our neighbors and then to love to learn our, our, our enemies in the same way. So if you like, it's a kind of question of, of, uh, of the progression of love, not competing loves. And I think that's that's a, a helpful way of thinking about this, that we're not forced to choose between loving those who are like us in our own nation or those in other nations, but actually we're called to love both. And learning learning one is a way to learning the other. Mm. That challenge of not choosing is quite counter-culture at the moment, isn't it? Mm. And um, that's quite a hard thing for us to do because there is a risk that people in the world will see us you know, trying to take a sort of wishy-washy middle line. Mm. Yeah. And that quite, takes quite a lot of resource as a Christian. Yeah, it does. But it seems to be something that, that Christians have always done, of holding together two things which otherwise will be pulled apart. I mean, another example is the doctrine of the incarnation, that um, in the doctrine of the incarnation, Christians have always said that, that in Jesus Christ, we see God and humanity coming together. Not, and that he is both 100% divine and 100% human. He's not some sort of mush in the middle, which is neither human nor divine. Neither is he totally divine, neither is he totally human. He is both at the same time. And I guess the history of the early Christians' theological debates was over those who wanted to emphasize, no, no, the divinity is the most important thing. And others wanted to say, no, no, the humanity is the most important thing. But eventually what the church decided was to say, actually, both of these things uh, are vital to hold together. And in a way, again, I think the, the referendum was a bit like asking a Christian, you know, okay, you've got to choose, is Jesus human or divine? And uh, I guess our answer has to be, well, well I can't say that, he's, he's both. And uh, so I think we've got a lot of a lot in our history and our theology that teaches us how to hold together things which otherwise might easily be torn apart 
And when things are torn apart, that can lead to all kinds of sort of unsettlement and pain and difficulty in societies. And I think we're in one of those periods at the moment where, where polarization is pulling us apart. And actually what needs to be done is to hold us together, find ways of holding us together. So at this time of some uncertainty, what do you, what do you, what would you encourage Christians to do? Well, I think the first thing is to start talking about it in churches. Um, the church is a good place to start those conversations. I think a lot of the time the conversations between those who voted leave and those who voted remain have become very intense and polarised and difficult, and they sometimes haven't even happened. They're either sort of shouting at each other across Twitter or House of Commons or whatever. Um, uh, or, or even families have been divided on, on this and they can be difficult to have the conversation but it strikes me that the church is a good place to start that conversation because actually underneath it all our Christian faith does give us a common set of convictions and values and uh, in, in order to have that debate because what you need alongside you know when things are polarized to go back to the things that unite you and in the Christian church, yes, we have a, 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 a creed, a set of beliefs that hold us together. And that is the good context, I think, to start that debate. So I would encourage local churches to set up encounters and possibilities to um, uh, to have that debate in churches. Because in whatever church you're in, I'm pretty sure there'll be people who voted leave and people who voted remain. It's one of the things we've been doing in uh, the Kensington area. Um, I've been gathering people together to kind of um, ask them to talk together about, you know, why did you vote leave? Why did you vote remain? Just, just listen to one another. Don't argue about it, but just listen to the other person's point of view. And so I think that's a place we can start by host by having those conversations amongst ourselves, and then maybe begin to host those conversations in the wider society as well. Right. Would you pray for us? I'd love to. God, our Father, we bring our nation before you today. As we look back over these past few years of division and uncertainty and pain on both sides, we pray, Father, for reconciliation and for healing. And we pray that over the coming months and years that your church would play its part in bringing that reconciliation and healing. Inspire us, we pray. Teach us and guide us so that we may bring the healing power of Christ to this nation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.